Welcome, baseball fans. It is time for the Running the Bases podcast. I'm Tucker Wells. Excited to be joined by uh, the biggest Oakland A's fan that I know, possibly the only true Oakland A's fan that I know, uh, <laughs> Kate Furtar, longtime friend of the show. Kate, how in the world are you? I'm doing fantastic, all things considered, with uh, the treatment that your Braves gave my A's while they were here in Oakland, but uh, <laughs> what's she going to do? And uh, very happy to be back on the show with you. Oh, likewise. Uh, yeah, so we are recording this uh, on Sunday night, mere minutes after the Braves' uh, A's series concluded with an extra inning win for my team from my city, I guess, because I don't own them <laughs> yet. Uh, at any rate, um, yeah, it it was uh, it was a really good series, even though you got swept. And uh, I guess I win the wager, so I'll look forward to my Oakland gin in the mail. <laughs> um, this is only the uh, fifth time that the Braves and the A's, the Battle of the A-Caps, have uh, locked horns since interleague. Were you excited to see the Braves in town? Is there a buzz when when a team like the Braves comes into town? Uh, I don't know <laughs> that there's a buzz for any team coming into Oakland currently <laughs> right. uh, based on the fan attendance. Uh, I think they've stopped announcing it at games, uh, which tells you one thing. And uh, very soon, I think the Seagulls are going to outnumber us. Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens for a while. You know, I was just waiting for, you know, Stephen Vogt to make the most that he could of all that foul territory and you know go for a pop-up behind the plate and dive into the splits and catch it and then of course you know everything would turn around as far as attendance <laughs> but um sadly it looks like steven's not going to get the chance to do that so it'll be all fegly um <laughs> but you know as far as the the braves coming in there is uh whether it's been five times we've played each other since the start of interleague you know with Hudson going over there, Washington and Suzuki now with the team. Um, you know, there, there are some connections between Oakland and Atlanta. And from that perspective, it kind of made the series interesting. Right. I was very impressed by a couple of things. Number one, the kid today who caught three foul balls in yeah. one section. Don't know if you saw this. For those who did not see the game today, one guy, in, a young kid in, in, in one one seat caught three foul balls. And honestly, there was a lot of great catches in the stands today, better than the Oakland defense on the field. So <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, there was... that's our scouting. You didn't realize that. I mean, that's uh, they're too far away in Nashville. That's our triple A team <laughs> <laughs> right. right there in the stands. <laughs> that's good. That's that's uh, e efficient. If you need somebody, just tell them to come down, put a uniform on and, and you're good to go. Um <laughs> Yeah, there were certainly good seats available uh, for all three days. Um, our franchises here uh, are more similar than I realized, but uh, so we'll get to that a little bit later. I want to talk about, with the A's, first off, the stadium. You know, it's one of the oldest stadiums in baseball. It's 51 years old now, and in that same time period, we've had three. We're on our third one here in Atlanta <laughs> Um, it's kind of unique and quirky now, now that it's like the last of the of the true multi-use stadiums. There are two tenants, although I guess the Raiders are definitely leaving in a few years, right? Is that is that a given? That's the the latest, so I think the, the Raiders will be leaving. Uh, the Warriors, obviously, moving across the bay to San Francisco, I think, for 
1920 season or yeah i want to say um so it'll be interesting you know right now the A's owners have kind of tried to double down with their commitment to the city this kind of rooted in oakland ad campaign um which only my friends can back me up on this i've been saying they should have done that 10 years ago but uh here it is today and uh it just sort of feels like you know, in a couple of years, it's going to be Oakland because we're all you have left. Seriously. <laughs> so, oh, that hurts. Um, that hurts. Yeah. Uh, I feel the pain on that one. That stung. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, new mayor, new ownership somewhat with the A's, uh, but not really. And kind of focusing on stadium options within Oakland instead of elsewhere in the Bay area. Um, but really, I mean, going back to the the Chuck Finley days of the 60s and 70s, when he first brought them here, there was always this idea that he was going to move the team. So it seems like uh, the traveling A's have, have been part of our, our history. Yeah, that's that's a good point. A lot of a lot of Chuck Finley uh, nuggets from the broadcast from the Atlanta broadcast over the weekend, which was great. Um, and, you know, how instrumental he was to uh, to free agency by virtue of nobody wanting to play for him. Uh, that's part of, you know, that's, that's part of the similarities. You know, we had Ted Turner who was a wacky, goofy owner, but mm -hmm. finally found success. And same thing. I mean, Chuck Finley like ran into it twice with the 1970s teams and then in the eighties as well. Um, mm -hmm. But so I've heard that there's like three potential sites in mind is one of those just building on top of where they are right now, because it seems like you could, you could, you could write a lot of wrongs. You could knock down Davis tower or whatever it's called. Davis mountain, Mount Davis, Mount Davis. Yeah. Right. You could knock down any obstruction of that view and build, you know, knock down Oracle and then put a smaller stadium where Oracle is and turn, the Coliseum into a mixed use development or something like that. The Braves have done that and it's so far a success. So is that one right. of the options? Uh, it is one of the options. And, you know, depending on what you want to kind of take away from the media, uh, the A's are saying they're looking at all three. So the Coliseum location being one, uh, another one, which would be in this area called Jack London square, which is down by the waterfront and um, a third one, uh, by this man-made lake called Lake Merritt, um, which seems to be the preferred site, just kind of given what the owners were looking for when they were kind of touting this idea of a baseball village, be it in, in Fremont or down in San Jose. Um, and they seem to like the Laney option because there's already, you know, this neighborhood there. Uh, so this idea of you go to the ballpark and then when you leave the game, you go out to a bar or something like that. Uh, my warning flags there is it seems like it would be a lot harder to, you know, build within the city. And I think it's going to put even more of a strain on uh, Oakland as a city to provide the transit and whatever other infrastructure that goes into supporting the stadium. Even though I think the idea is that this will be privately financed, they're not going to look for tax dollars to do it, which is a nice sign. Um, Personally, I, I like the, the Coliseum option for a lot of the reasons of what you said, uh, that you can, once the Raiders move and the Warriors move, there's a lot of land there and there's a lot of space to develop. It's maybe not the most desirable real estate, but 
if you want to take a page from both the the Giants moving into AT&T Park into an area that was underdeveloped in San Francisco, uh, the Warriors doing the same thing with their new arena. I think there's more potential for Oakland to gain if the A's stay where they are. Um, I don't know what the environmental report is on that area. I know that there's already some issues with flooding um, at the current stadium. So I don't know what it would take to get that fixed if they stay with that site. Um, but I just feel like there would be more of an opportunity to grow with a new stadium there that's um, already has service by public transit, you know, BART, which is the kind of main train that goes around the Bay Area is there. Uh, and then the last option, Jack London Square, um, you know, similar, it's kind of the hybrid, I guess, between the two, you know, not quite as developed as the, the first option, that Laney College option, uh, but maybe seems like it's in a more desirable or transit-friendly area being in Jack London Square. Uh, the other kind of consideration that comes up for me in this whole thing is, you know, Oakland is already facing a, a huge displacement issue, um, and the Bay Area as a whole has a whole lot going on with a, a housing shortage, and Oakland, along with San Francisco and San Jose, is uh, predicted to get the most population growth in the coming years. So even more of a housing shortage. So I think um, the city, I would hope, takes that into account on, on where this stadium should be and should it be going into a neighborhood that already feels kind of vulnerable in terms of increasing rent and, and things like that um, for businesses and, and people who are already established there. So that, that to me, um, is one of the things that would be a, a, a reason to take Laney off the table at this point, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's certainly uh, complicated, but it's good to know that those are those are what's on the table and not, you know, Montreal, uh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you're right. The 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 uh, the athletics are now the brand of Oakland. You know, they are Oakland strong. Uh, and you're right. I mean, you know, it's Silicon Valley. It's the it's the tech boom area. You know, uh, certainly with all with all the job growth and the the cost of living there that they could easily privately finance this stadium which is mm -hmm. a huge pr move uh i'm still totally amazed when owners convince taxpayers to give them money to buy stadiums for their multi-million dollar franchises billion dollar franchises at this point so right. but uh you know well how is the vibe down at the Coliseum? And by the way, renaming it Ricky Henderson Field is phenomenal. That was, I loved that. I, I think that the more, the more things we can do to give Ricky Henderson a podium at some sort of ceremony, the better. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely. And I think he will be the first person to agree with you on that. And, uh, <laughs> He'll be the first, second, and third person to agree <laughs> with anybody on that. Um, yeah, so that was kind of like, you know, one of these first things done by the ownerships for this season. Um, and it's just, it's an interesting thing from a fan perspective. I mean, here their uh, organization is doing things to make a commitment or show a commitment to Oakland with naming it Ricky Henderson Fields. Um, they, got they, rid of the, a, they got rid of the O.co, right? Isn't it, it now just straight Oakland Coliseum? 
I, you know, that part, I'm not sure. Uh, it was always easy to kind of tell ourselves that the O.co stood for Oakland Coliseum and not Overstock.com uh, for the superfluous team in the Bay Area. Um, but uh, so on the one hand, we've got, you know, ownership doing things like, you know, renaming it Ricky Henderson Field. I don't know that the sign got to light up many times, but over in center, there's um, uh, this little sign that kind of lights up in green and gold with Holy Toledo. That was the trademark phrase of Bill King, who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. So that's exciting. Yep. Um, so all that, that and was then great. Just, yeah, and some little things like renaming the Seagate the Catfish Hunter Gate. Um, so it's just it's a little bizarre that on the one hand, we're getting these you know commitments to the city by the ownership, but on the other uh, we're not really seeing the development of a team in terms of um, player selection. And there's uh, a lot of talk of the the A's going young, young, which is, you know, there's no problem uh, with that per se, um, particularly for a team that's strapped financially. You probably have to look for younger players, but uh, it takes a while for, for teams to kind of hit a rhythm or and get into a momentum. And so just the the talent turnstile that has always been part of Oakland just feels like it's moving faster and there just hasn't been a chance to um, kind of develop this sense of team. So as a fan, you're getting this, we're committed to Oakland, but you're not seeing the the commitment to the players that would, you know, make it a really exciting team to watch, which is probably why, you know, you notice low attendance at the games, but I walk around, I'm spending more time in San Francisco for work and I see plenty of ace hats. You know, so I think right. people are still fans. Um, there's just a little kind of a, a wait and see with what's going on right now with the the ownership. I think some fans want to um, see what happens with the stadium and see if that also turns into um, the ownership. I think showing loyalty to the, to the players because I think the the fans have loyalty to the players and they want to see that from the ownership even more than this kind of rooted in Oakland idea. So certainly, well, you know, you're, you're three years removed from the wild card game against Kansas city, the infamous wild card game against Kansas city. <laughs> uh, you know, the, again, the similarities between our franchises here, uh, we both have horrific wild card, single, emil- single elimination wild card game experiences. Um, but you know, three years ago is not that long in that time frame and and again the two years leading up to that they won the division both years did they win it in 2011 as well i can't remember uh 2012 2013 for sure i don't think so i think 12 was uh maybe the first time since 06 right and then yeah and then 2013 as well and so there, you know, we're yeah. we're not that far removed from a strong, a strong on-field performance from your beloved A's. That right. said, since that wild card game, you traded Josh Donaldson, <laughs> and that's it brings chuckles to my heart every time. He's an MVP. You traded, you acquired, and then traded Ben Zobrist. Uh, he was a World Series MVP, two-time World Series champion. Uh, some of the other names that have come through there in the recent years. Josh Reddick, Rich Hill, Yoannis, uh, so on and so forth. So are you finally at the point where you're feeling this emotional and mental exhaustion, confusion, maybe mentally beaten down at this point? Interesting. Um, 
I guess, you know, it's a, it's a case by case basis, um, you know, with, with Donaldson and yeah, I guess there was, there was so much about him and being not getting along. And I feel like we've talked about that before on the, the podcast. So I won't bore listeners by, by going into that in too much detail again. Um, right. but with Zobrist, uh, you know, I feel like there was never, uh, a chance for him to get really dyed green and gold, um, he had the, the knee surgery where he was kind of unavailable at the beginning of the season and then traded. So it, it didn't really leave a mark. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say given the success that the two of them have had, had they stayed in Oakland, either of them, would they have had those same seasons? And, you know, it's also hard to argue with the A's as a team have had the success that, uh, the Blue Jays have had or the Royals and uh, the Cubs there with World Series. Um, it's hard to say, uh, but of that list of names you just mentioned, I think if you want to go back and, and kind of find a turning point, um, it was Cespedes and Lester and uh, that 2014 run. I just feel like uh, it messed with the mojo that was uh, that season. These guys that were let's say the A's are maybe at their best when they're less conventional. Um, yeah, so these guys that, who are, <laughs> that's been a reoccurring theme with them to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when it was this team of, um, you know, the Bernie lean and wrestling belts and like Spider-Man pieing after games, like <laughs> uh, somewhat organized chaos, I guess is what you could, could call it. And I just feel like with, Lester coming in that was at the trade deadline. The A's had already made a pretty big move with Samarja to kick it all off. I mean, that was pretty exciting. And then I feel like with Lester, it was on paper, kind of, you know, classic Billy Bean, um, making the most of a big guy like Cespedes, who, you know, every A's fan knew was not going to stick around. He was going to become a franchise player elsewhere. Um, but to use a a big star like Cespedes to get a guy like Lester to make a run at the postseason, and then use Lester for whatever during winter tradings. Um, well, he did. It was all he let Lester did leave as a free agent, so there was oh, okay. Well, there in was that, that case, as a there, you knew he was a rental going into it, but right. I think that but only, we would get draft picks, right? Right, and it only yeah. strengthens your point that you know why why suddenly now go all in on the rental. You know, right. that's a very un-Billy Bean, un-A thing to do. So, I mean, the whole thing there, it just, it kind of turned the fun ride from, you know, these guys, bad news bears sort of theme to them, uh, all of a sudden getting a guy like Lester, and it was like, oh, well, now it's serious. Um, <laughs> and I feel like since then, uh, there just hasn't been the same kind of chemistry for for lack of a better word um and as much as you know it's hard to see some of these big names go through um i think what the a's are, are really missing right now are the coco chris and the the brandon moss and the the johnny gnomes of the team um maybe not the the biggest stars around but i think if you're gonna go young as the a's um sort of out of necessity need to do having those kinds of guys who can kind of capture that feeling of like, look, take the game seriously, but you don't necessarily have to take yourself seriously. Um, and for a bunch of young players who are, you know, wanting to make the most of making it to the majors, probably knowing that Oakland is a little bit of a, 
a stepping stone maybe to other places. Um, I think that kind of presence is really valuable and uh, going on to, to later or more recent moves like uh, with Steven Vogt, I wonder if maybe part of his on-field struggles were just due to he was trying to do so much as a team leader uh, for a team that was struggling. Um, being the guy who's the face of the franchise, talking to the media, handling the pitching staff. I mean, that's a, a lot for one guy to carry on his shoulders. Um, he's and, definitely a team first kind of guy. Right. And by all accounts, he did it really well. I mean, it, I mean, he was designated for assignment. So what was your feeling about losing the current face of the franchise? Uh, I think you have to file it under, um, you know, sometimes good things really happen to good people. I think he's landed in a great place <laughs> in Milwaukee. I mean, to trade from being at the <laughs> bottom of the AL West with the Astros just running away with everything to uh, the head of the Central, and certainly no one's going to discount the Cubs. When did we ever think we were going to say that seriously? Um, right, but, yeah. It's a whole you we're know, in uncharted waters with the Cubs being a yeah <laughs> being a champ and a contender every year. But, you know, he had two home runs in his first game in Milwaukee and maybe a change of scenery does a lot and I think yeah, just him getting a chance to um maybe we maybe have a chance to get away from some of those on-field or uh clubhouse pressures. He can, you know, just focus more on his game. Um Certainly, he's the type of player that will be valued by teammates, media, and fans. I'll have probably no problem getting uh, welcomed by all those groups, and I think he'll, I think he'll move on and and have a great season in Milwaukee. So um, I think it's it's a, something that the DFA stings. There's no way for it not to, but uh, he landed in a in a good place. Favorite Stephen Vogt commercial, promotional oh, or gosh. otherwise. Uh, there are so many. Um, I'll be sure to set the proper link uh, to YouTube for those who don't live in the Bay Area and may not have seen it. You sent me one one time yeah. about fireworks night. That was pretty brilliant. Um, that was great. Uh, you know, I think uh, the one that was about the the breakfast nicknames, um, it was Billy Butler was on the team. So country breakfast and kind of starting this conversation like I'm country breakfast and we have Cocoa Crisp. You guys should have, you know, breakfast nickname too. And uh, vote comes up with everything bagel because I'm so versatile. And like uh, Butler just turns to him at the end and goes, you really want to be known as Steven everything bagel vote? And he's like munching on a grape just goes, absolutely. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's it's hard to it's hard to replace a character like that, and yeah. to which Oakland does so well in finding these characters. So does that torch go straight to Doolittle now, or who who do you look at as the most marketable? I mean, obviously Sunny Gray, but the you know Mister Congeniality, like who is that? Yeah, who's our goofball? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, and I don't know that there's anyone um really proper to fill those shoes i mean when you got a bunch of rookies again this kind of goes back to the idea of being young i think it's hard for them who are you know trying to establish themselves as major leaguers to kind of take on this persona of of being goofy or, or silly or whatever um 
to kind of maybe help lighten the mood for the the team. I think it's just one of those things in the you know traditions of baseball kind of frowned upon as like no rookie that's that's not your job that's not what you do um yeah you're supposed to carry the unicorn backpack or you know do whatever it is that you're supposed to do as a rookie um you're not supposed to come up with those things you're just supposed to to do them so sure um yeah there's uh nothing no one really coming to mind as like the new goofball of the team with, with Doolittle, I think uh, he'll continue to be a, a social media stud and he'll probably step up maybe more with the, the general media, but you know, he's been having some tough years just being healthy for a whole season. I think everyone would agree. That's what Doolittle has to focus on. Not so much, um, you know, general clubhouse levity. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is about winning ball games at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, in general feeling about uh, GM David Frost, I mean, he is the GM. It's no longer Billy Bean in that specific title, though Bean is, you know, ranks above. Um, you're saying they have to go younger. That is the, that is the you know, overwhelming consensus. Um, but what grade do you give David Frost at this point? Do you feel as though there is any discernible plan? We're going to be competitive in three years, five years, you know. Right. Uh, well, there was an interesting article that popped up uh, basically about like why the A's will never beat the Astros. I think that was the the title of it um, and written by, I mean, if there's ever going to be a running the bases book club, um, the author of this article, Sam Miller, co-authored a great book called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. Um, it's about nice. him and a colleague who are baseball prospectus writers uh, getting this chance to run baseball operations in the independent league in Sonoma. So they're all excited, kind of this idea of getting to test um, a lot of theories on an actual ball club and see how they pan out. And it's kind of their experience with the the team for a season. So um, a great read for the winter or really for any time of the season. Um, but in this article, Stan Miller was pointing out that the Astros very publicly said you know, we're going to fail for a few years. This is all by design uh, so that we can then rebuild and, and get a whole lot better. And he's argued that the the Cubs basically did the same thing. And a, a couple of other teams have more or less taken this rebuild strategy. Uh, while a lot of GMs have kind of publicly said, you know, we're not able to do that for one reason or another. If you're the Yankees or the Red Sox, your fan base is not going to let you be terrible because you just want to be terrible. Um, sure. And I guess in Oakland, uh, it was being commenting on this, not force, but uh, the idea of being in a market where they're already competing with another team, there's, you know, not this chance to kind of intentionally be terrible. So it's like, well, that's an interesting argument. So you're just saying you're unintentionally terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what, what's worse. <laughs> Thank you. So, Question mark. I guess. Um, good yeah. going, guys. Like, keep up the good work. But, um, <laughs> well, I think the biggest difference there, because you know, let's not leave the team that's probably boarding the plane at FS SFO right now. Uh, my beloved Atlanta Braves. They did that. You know, they didn't announce it quite so dramatically like the Astros, but you know, in 2014 we traded pretty much everybody and there was the whole mm -hmm. trying to make the last few years of Turner field as horrible as possible so that they could, you know, get to the, the new 
new stadium in the suburbs and and, and all this, mm-hmm. which I'm still will forever hold against them. Uh, as a fan, as a lifelong fan, I just you know, no matter how much team success they may have moving forward, that's one of those things that's going to stick out for a long time. So I do hope that for for the beleaguered Oakland faithful that that they do you proper on whatever new mm-hmm. stadium comes through. All that being said, the Braves right now are seemingly on the rise uh these pitchers may pan out you can have all the great prospects in the world but it doesn't mean they're going to pan out but mm-hmm. the cubs have wrigley field and the astros you know have a you know a, a very new stadium built in the last 20 years although that doesn't mean anything anymore so <laughs> uh but and they had they had a, a an infusion of cash coming in from investment whatever do you think that that's the biggest difference? Because in Oakland, you know, we're not cer- you're not certain where that's coming from. Like too many question marks to for to to believe that ownership is even thinking about the team right now. Well, I think um, they've done a little bit of a better job of somewhat separating uh, the owners and their goals, possibly around a new stadium and everything, and um, what's going on on the field. Uh, you know, before when it was uh, Lou Wolf, who was a minority owner, but um, for some reason kind of selected to be the the face of the ownership in this idea of the the baseball village for the the A's. You know, it just sort of felt like that was um, overshadowing what was supposed to be happening on the field. And I, I think those were uh, what I call the, the dark days of Bob Guerin um, before we were enlightened under Bob Melvin. Um so I think they're doing somewhat of a better job of, you know, Dave Caval now being the spokesperson for the owners. Um, and he's just kind of keeping more business aligned. This is what we're thinking of um, and leaving the on-field stuff to, to force. Um, I think maybe what murkied the waters before was Bean was kind of doing both of those things. I mean, he was GM, but he was also an owner. So it felt like he was kind of um, maybe distracted by, trying to do the two at once who knows um right it makes sense though those are both 60 hour a week jobs yeah so trying to do trying to double down on it but yet with tremendous success you know i i don't know how you're feeling about Moneyball <clears throat> present day because your defense is terrible uh <laughs> to, oh ron washington please come back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seeing him over at third base must have made you somewhat wispy. Uh, a little bit. I remember um, a spring training game. We were down there and playing the Rangers and uh, could see him before the game was starting by the, the Rangers dugout. So I ran down with my ticket and he signed it. Um, so I keep that with a, a photo I have of me and a friend. We went to FanFest and uh, he stopped for a photo with the two of us. So should maybe move that photo though, because the signature on the tickets getting really faded from sun exposure. So yeah, you gotta um, be careful about that. Right. Yes. I think. And again, under this headline of it's a a young team, you expect growing pains um, certainly of sorts. I think what I've seen a lot of this season is guys, uh, particularly at that money ball idea, which we saw working probably at its best in 2012, um, getting guys into the lineup, just because they're going to have a, a good matchup with the bats. Um, and maybe that means they're playing their secondary or even third position, but um, at least they're in the, the ball game with the potential to, to earn some runs. 
and I don't remember the errors in 2012 being what they were um, the last couple of seasons, but uh, you certainly expect growing pains with players uh, testing out maybe positions they haven't played since Little League or um, maybe all they played was one position since Little League and now they're being asked on a major league level to switch to something new. I mean, yes, these are premier athletes, but that's still um, a tough spot. It's uh, trying to think of something else in a professional setting where you'd be like, okay, so everyone's going to be watching you, and this is the first time you're ever going to deal with it, um, and uh, (laughs) we'll see how you do. (laughs) Are we sure that everyone is watching them? Uh, no, um, <laughs> very few people are probably, but it seems like about 4,000 know, people are friends watching and family, <laughs> right? Every one of your friends and family will be watching you. Exactly. Um, and sometimes that's worse than, uh, doing things for strangers. That's true. Um, you know, I mean, Hey, right. It's not that hard to play first base, right? Uh, well, to quote the, the movie Moneyball, like Scott, it's not that hard, Scott. Tell them, Wash, it's incredibly hard. It's incre- it um. is. It's incredibly <laughs> difficult to play first base. I mean, you look at, yeah. you know, they haven't been hitting much this year, but Oakland, you've gotten some good pitching. And, you know, are, I mean, are you still on board with Moneyball in, in the sense that defense doesn't matter? Because consider for the moment, you know, you are you are the worst fielding team in baseball. The last three World Series champions, uh, Chicago, Kansas City, and San Francisco, very sound defensive clubs, a lot of stellar defensive play helping bring that championship and, you know, defensive runs saved is, is, is a, is a much more appreciated stat. I think now you look at Jason Hayward got a huge contract almost solely on his defense. Um, and that's also why he'll be shipped out of Chicago sometime soon. Um, right. You can't be the highest played player on that team and not be able to hit. <laughs> So I'm sorry. Um, so that said, I mean, you know, are you still on board with Moneyball? Uh, well, I'm going to say this is a, a preface. It's It's been a while since I've actually read Moneyball um, and a little while since I've seen the movie, regardless of being able to quote it. Um, if we want to take the, the movie as sort of the, the Cliff Notes version of what happened. Uh, but I think just sort of in general conversations about Moneyball is um, – it became so popular within baseball and outside of baseball. And it was such a great title that I think it has been used in a way beyond it ever sort of expected within what the book was actually trying to deal with at a a certain point in time. Um, And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, certain defensive stats are, are now being valued. And I would say when Michael Lewis was writing the book, on the 2002 season, um, a lot of these things were still new. Um, not as new as, you know, some critiques of the book have come out saying, you know, the A's have been doing this, uh, what was it, since Sandy Alomar, like in the 80s. Um, I mean, Billy Bean, when he changed to be a scout and went to the front office, he was basically given a playbook of sorts that was like, this is how we're evaluating players. So it was all in development um, in Oakland before that 2002 run. And I just have to come back to the point of defense because I I can't recall there ever being something said in Moneyball that basically said, you know, defense doesn't matter or, you know, it's uh, overrated. Um, If anything, I think it would have said it's maybe difficult to quantify 
And here's what we can quantify, pitchers and batters, because those are all isolated instances. Um, but even with that, you'd have to take into consideration, you know, do uh, people get a hit because someone on the infield is out of position? Um, that's maybe something that doesn't always show up in the numbers. And probably uh, they're working on it now uh, to make sure that it is included. I still hold to Moneyball just because of um, – what it sort of meant, you know, at that time, which was we have to look beyond body type and uh, think of different ways for evaluating players because um, basically if we're going to be competitive, we have to find inefficiencies in the way that other teams are evaluating their players so that we can find um, players who are undervalued in a sense on the market and give them a chance to, to play here in Oakland. So, well, and that it's, to me it, more than anything is what Moneyball is about. It wasn't, um, you know, Billy Bean coming down from Mount Davis with the word of Moneyball and the word was good. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you it was know, a catchy. This is it was what a we really, have to do. Yeah, it's a really good title that speaks more to a you know, financially strapped ball club that's being competitive. I mean, that that, that is the the uh, I, I think the unfair. Um, the unfair transformation of what Moneyball stands for, because you're absolutely right. It's more about that operating in that in that mindset taking the bill james which has been you know the 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 bill james prospectus had been written for decades before you know michael lewis kind of brought it to the national forefront within the book and it's mm-hmm. sabermetrics you know it's sabermetrics talking about how um and specifically bill james that you know defense you can't quantify it it's all you know there are only the 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 three true outcomes and you know walks and working pitches and hitting home runs mm-hmm. but the emphasis is taken away from defense and you know that's something that has affected the aesthetic of baseball in the last 15 years yeah as well as just and... there's not a lot of balls being put into play i mean coach and i have this argument all the time that you know the why baseball struggles with keeping fans is that you know it really has been whittled down to strikeout pitchers and home run hitters that and the right. you know the ball is juiced, so that's part of it as well. But um, maybe hey, maybe this is the evolution that they're gonna go away. You know, it, since the secret got out, and teams that have all the resources in the world were playing the same game as the uh, A's and how to evaluate talent in different ways. You know, right. maybe the shift they'll they'll focus more on good <laughs> defensive talent. Certainly, the utility talent that is like par for the course right now. You know, if you've right. got a team assembled with, you know, utility players a la Ben Zobrist, you're you're doing the right thing. So Yeah. And, you know, I guess I'll just point to this a uh, few examples of if we want to take the early aughts as the the moneyball heyday. Um, I mean those were the days where we had on the left side of our infield Miguel Dejada, an MVP shortstop and Eric Chavez, a gold glove third baseman. And then over time, we had Mark Ellis over at second, who never got a gold glove, but everyone around Oakland will tell you that he was robbed blind of that. Um, And then, you know, later on, Josh Reddick. So I feel like there's there's been defensive talent on the A's for sure. Um, Sam Fold. Yonder. Super Sam. Sam Fold. Super Sam. Um, uh, Yonder Alonzo gets praised for, you know, some of the plays that he makes at first base. Um, 
you know, definitely, you know, making some picks that otherwise maybe that's a base runner if he doesn't make that play. So, uh, sure. you know, it's, it's there. Maybe they're never going to be known as a defensively stellar club, but um, I think some of those early examples, the Bajadas, the Chavez that we had um, in that kind of golden age of Moneyball shows that it wasn't totally overlooked by the ball club. Right. And then, of course, the thing that, you know, must never be overlooked, you had Hudson, Mulder, and Zito. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to throw all the other numbers and stuff out there. When you've got that pitching staff at that point in time, you're going to be pretty good. So, yeah. And uh, young players who had time to play together. Um, right. I mean, I think that's the, again, the big difference between now and then. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, cohesion, you know, this is where I want to strangle the Brian Kennys of the world. You know, the clubhouse factor is real. You know, it, the clubhouse chemistry is a real thing. It, it's it's quantifiable uh, just in wins and losses. You know, you see a team that's been together for a few years and has grown together and versus one that's just assembled parts and pieces. You know, I love the movie Major League, but that's not we're not in that reality. Um so, yeah, well, that said, um, the Braves and the A's, only the fifth time since Interleague, but I read a very good article on the Oakland SB Nation that wants Interleague to go away, and we're it's 20 years later since Interleague was introduced. Um, how do you feel about Interleague baseball? Do you, do you get excited when the Marlins are in town? <laughs> or do you feel like, as, as per this article, that it's time to get rid of it so you can have a couple more series with, say, the like the Yankees or the Tigers even, which has been a rival for some time. Right. Um, you know, I guess a part of me kind of did prefer the interleague setup where it was like two weeks uh, for us. It was usually kind of anchored around playing the Giants at some point. And uh, I don't care how, how diehard you are. It's a, it's a long season. And to kind of have something that um, – you know, if it's not something to look forward to, it's a, at least a, an occasion on the calendar. And I think having interleague concentrated within two weeks was a little bit more interesting for me as a fan. Um, you kind of knew it was happening. There was maybe some time to check out where we were going and it, you know, everyone's got a short attention span. It could all just be focused right there. Um, and now it's just a little like, Oh, we've been in Washington and Oh, now the, the Braves are coming into town. I feel like it's a, a harder thing to be excited about when um, you just know it's going to kind of roll around and happen. Um, right. The fact that we haven't played each other for a number of years uh, isn't quite attention grabbing for me as a fan. Uh, you know, spring training plays a role in part of that. If you get to go or watch any of those games uh, I feel like that's, a more interesting chance to, to see other teams and how your guys are going to stack up against them. Um, and I think uh, the most that's gained uh, for me from a fan perspective are conversations like this, where you get to talk with a friend who's uh, either out of your division or out of uh, your league. And you get to have a chance to really talk about your two teams because, Hey, we're playing each other. Um, Kate, more... you're, Kate, you're totally out of my league. I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I do kind of also agree with the argument that it does take away from some of the chances for, um, kind of down the stretch, having some interdivision play 
you know, teams that have a really a chance to make the postseason, and if they can play someone in their division and really gain in the standings, um, that's a lot more interesting and valuable than they go and lock horns with someone across the country while the team that they're chasing is playing somebody else. Like, wouldn't it be a, a lot more fun if those teams actually got to play each other um, heading into the postseason? So uh, that argument, I do agree with. Right. Well, you know, it was supposed to uh, conjure up more traditional rivals, but, you know, the Braves and the Red Sox, kind of, that was supposed to be like our traditional rival. And you're right, you get Oakland and San Fran, you get the Cubs and the White Sox from time to time. But I think at this point, you know, it's a it's an interesting argument on the on the general level. I mean, I as a baseball super geek, as you well know, I was really excited to see the Braves play in Oakland. But that's because, you know, beyond just knowing you as a friend and uh, that I've liked Oakland, you know, Oakland has been an interesting baseball team for years and years. Um, and knowing the rarity of this, uh, you know, to see the Braves in Oakland Coliseum and to hear our, you know, broadcast team talking about, they could talk about Reggie Jackson and they could talk about Catfish Hunter, which would never come up on a Braves telecast otherwise. And I certainly, right. you know, know those, those names from baseball history. Um, but you're right. You know, it's the Braves may very well contend this year they're only a game under 500 so would it be better if they were playing like maybe the cardinals one more time around and some more you know national league competition that makes a little more sense that's a valid argument i think that's a valid argument for for casual fans you know casual right. braves fan is gonna be like why do i care about them playing the a's at all you know what is the value uh, well, of this you for picked anything? Up three wins if <laughs> well there is no that. other reason for that we did indeed <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate so you're that. welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. And just as easily, you could have picked up all three of those wins. So, um, yeah. uh, it really was a great series, you know, world series preview, maybe said no one ever. Well, uh, you know, not to, um, kind of grasp at straws here, but, uh, I think it was a great series in terms of, uh, Sunny Gray goes eight. I don't think I can pronounce your starter's name. I practiced it so that this wouldn't happen when <laughs> I was talking with you. Fultonavich. Mike Fultonavich. Mike Fult <laughs> you can just call him Fulty. We call him Fulty okay. around here. And by the way, um, nice job. Vote Bro should become battery mates. That's That should obviously happen. I'm in full favor of that. If, if, if Vote came to Atlanta and we're always seemingly in need of more catching, although – Suzuki, hey, <laughs> he's been a he's been a, a a real treat, a real find, and great to see him hitting in Oakland again. Probably not for you, but uh, yeah, great for us. But anyway, um, well, yeah, that he was, was such a fan favorite. I'm sure everyone was happy to see him, regardless of what he did. So, yeah, yeah, well, tip of the cap to be sure. But you know, when when the no hitter got broken up on Friday night by Fulty his 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 final line score was just at par with Sonny Gray. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think to be at this point in the season and you're getting that kind of performance out of two starters, that's exciting for any fan. Um, and then today's game, to see it go 12 innings, you know, obviously there were a lot of things just kind of characteristic of the A season, so close and like watching a car accident. Like if you change one thing in the link <laughs> – of, yeah. uh, reactions yeah. um you know this thing swings and maybe goes the other way so i guess that's kind of been the the thing for the a's and ace fans this season just like it was so good and we were so close and it was just this 
this one part. Um, so it's, it's enough to give hope and, uh, but certainly, you know, there are disappointments along the way. Right. Uh, all three games decided by, by, uh, one run. Yeah. And there's that too. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's great baseball, you know, no matter what, no matter who's, who's locking horns. Um, the, the similarities between our teams, I was really, uh, uh, really surprised and enlightened by the fact that, you know, we're thousands of miles apart. And yet Oakland, you have, again, the, the characterized by a very goofy owner through a period of tremendous success and, uh, admittable failure. Um, but like your 1987 to 1993 kind of lines up perfectly with the 91 to 97 Braves, you know, I joke about no one would say that this weekend was a World Series preview for this year, but <laughs> 91, 92, very well could have been. You know, a couple more things go differently in the 92 ALCS, and we are seeing each other in the World Series. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this this kind of prolonged success later on as as the uh, as the uh, the regular season kings and not being able to make it happen in the postseason uh, in the aughts. Um, even, you know, 88 through 90, you win one championship, but you're there three years in a row for the Braves, 91 to 96. We were in it four times and only won it once and easily could have yeah. won it, you know, probably three of the four times. And there's another similarity. I mean, the Braves were in what Milwaukee, Boston, Boston and first in Milwaukee, then Atlanta. Boston, yep. Yeah. So I think we're the only teams who have played in three locations. So that's an excellent point. Yeah. yeah, two of the longest running franchises in 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 uh, MLB history. Yeah. So Ted Turner, you know, uh, Chuck Finley, um, again made that comparison before. Um, so one of the things that was pointed out uh, by the Atlanta broadcast team was the retired numbers, and just there's so many more that could be up there. Um, who is the next Oakland A to get a retired number? And also, Next. and let me add to that, what do you feel about the Bash brothers at this point? Should they ever retire 25 and 33? Uh, I guess that's the you know first thought that popped into my head. I mean, it's, I think, probably a given that neither of those guys will go into the Hall of Fame. Um, and so that just kind of opens up a question for Oakland. Do they want to acknowledge them for... Um, their time as players and by retiring their numbers, even if they're not going to get recognized by the hall. Um, I, I don't see it happening because I, I don't think Oakland would want to have to answer to the, um, the press that would come rightfully around that decision of, you know, juicers and um performance enhancing drugs and and all those things um the whole balco thing kind of yeah <laughs> in a nutshell um, uh, jason jammy kind of falls into that that same category with uh, 16 so uh you know that's a tough one i think um what would be fun for oakland would be to go back to like the philadelphia days and like retire some of the the numbers there um oh, uh, go, go i, I can't historic. think off the top of my head and i i can't envision the tarps enough to know if they've they've done it but like jimmy fox why not um and you know uh connie mack was so known for his kind of 
nappy attire, the the hat and the the suit and everything. He wasn't in spikes and a jersey, um, so there's no number to retire there. But I think maybe something just more around the the history of the athletics could be an interesting option to explore. Sure. Um, well, the Braves, you know, uh, <laughs> look no further than right across the dugout or, or across the diamond. Um, we in our new stadium, the Braves have all of the pennants from all of the stops along the way. So yeah. you will see <laughs> in proud display with the 1995 World Series championship banner, the ni- the 1878 <laughs> AL yeah. pennant from the Boston Braves. So is there so, is, does anybody have a statue? Is there a, is there an A's player that has been uh, immortalized in bronze yet? Uh, there has not, and that's one of like the the hardest things about you know meeting friends for a game because it's like well where do you meet? Uh, you're basically in a giant parking lot. So thank right. God for cell phones. I don't know how anyone ever found themselves you know with their <laughs> or found their <laughs> friends at the game beforehand. Because uh, you just wandered around, you um, can get up to the gate, but then the gate's got all the lines and everything, and it's still hard to find people sometimes when there are actually people at the game. But that's a different story. Um, yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun if we, you know, did have the Ricky Henderson statue, him lifting the stolen base <laughs> over his head, you know, catfish with his crazy leg kick. I mean, there are there are definitely some Eckersley. fun ones that could I mean... be done. Eckersley, you know, pointing for the the third strike there. Um, or how about just Eckersley's mustache, like a giant lift <laughs> logo almost. Uh, that would be Raleigh Fingers. Oh, the Raleigh Fingers, like Instagram Snapchat station. Everyone could like pose with the mustache and like. I like hashtag, this hashtag mustache gang or something like that. I don't know how good your job is at the newspaper, but you should go apply for that social media manager with the A's. So the, uh, the all-star game, that was also the, so the all-star rosters were, uh, announced tonight as well. And Yonder Alonso first baseman, uh, going as a reserve, uh, props to Yonder. You, uh, uh, excited for him. Do you feel like any, do you feel like anybody got cheated out of an all-star nod from your beloved A's? Oh, you're too generous. Um, (laughs) This season, I I don't think so. Uh, very happy for Yonder. I heard a um, kind of a great story about him. You know, listening to one of the games on the radio in my car, and uh, I guess he wrote an article about what it was like um, for his family when they defected from Cuba. He basically gets a knock on his door from his father in the middle of the night, like we're gonna go. Like you can't bring anything more than what fits in your backpack, something to that effect. So. Um, you hear that kind of story. You look at a guy who's made it to the the major leagues and now he's an all-star. Um, you know, you just want to, as you, as you say, tip your cap to, to that kind of success and, and that sort of story. So very yeah. happy for Yonder. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for the Braves, we got Enciarte. was very happy about that. Could have made a case for a uh, Matt Kemp or big city Matt Adams as well. Who's been having a good year. All right. Well, uh, so let me get you out on this. Uh, today was also game 81 of the season. So uh, give me a prediction for the Oakland A's for the second half. And I guess most notably, will Sonny Gray still be on the team come August? Ooh. Um, yikes. Well, 
I feel like since I lost my last bet, I'm less inclined to make a second one here <laughs> on whether or not Gray is still going to be an A in August. Um, you know, probably not. I think with a, a guy like Sonny, the, the trade rumors are probably true. He's had uh, two really strong starts back to back. I know that health has been a little bit of an issue for him uh, lately. So I'm sure a lot of teams are kind of monitoring him and interested in how is he doing as far as uh, recovering and getting back to form. Um, no question about it. When he's got his stuff, it's uh, it's pretty nasty. And so if uh, he and Vogue kind of have a chance to, you know, both in the season, they more or less came up together. Um, if they both kind of, rise and go on to the, the next stage of their major league chapters um, where they're both in kind of postseason positions. Uh, I'd be happy for Sonny in that regard. Uh, as far as the A's in the second half, um, you know, historically when we've been uh, kind of strong contenders, we've always been something of a second half team um, coming back after the all-star break. So we'll see if, you know, maybe some of these rookies that are coming up and getting some time to play together, you know, getting the break of all-star, maybe get a chance to just do some team bonding or whatever. Um, right. If they come back and, and things start kind of gelling and coalescing for them, uh, that would be really nice to see. Um, so tentatively hopeful for the second half, I guess is how you can, can phrase it. There you go. I keep the faith. You, you keep that faith <laughs> because you are, you are diehard in every sense of the word. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I think that following the mold, you know, if you're truly going to go younger, if you're just going to get younger, you know, no one's going to bring you more prospects than Sonny Gray. You know, I mean, just you look at how how crowded so many of these divisions are uh, with teams that have really stocked farm systems as, as well, um, such as the Cubs or even right. potentially the Cardinals, my 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 arch enemy. Um yeah that you could you could really see uh you could really see a huge return for him. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more than what you got back for Josh Donaldson. No offense to I know Simeon, you're you're wanting him to come back and you know a uh, Graveman, uh, I think he's pitching a little bit better now, but mm -hmm. um at any rate. And here's something. Uh props to you. You are better than the Giants right now. You're the better team in the Bay Area. <laughs> And that's uh, you haven't been able to say that many times in the last <laughs> seven years. Oh, well, it's uh, been interesting. I uh, had a friend recently say something more or less to the effects of, um, well, the good thing about the Giants losing is the tickets have become affordable again. Yeah. So, um, Although they're still announcing it as sellouts every night, I'm sure. Oh, I, I think there are so many companies that have tickets and, and whatever else that um, they probably are sold. And yeah, my friend's probably getting this off of StubHub. I don't think it's the box office that has lowered the ticket rate. It's uh, someone trying go. to just get rid of his season ticket. Um, so, I mean, that's something that's already been sold. So they can count it as part of a sellout regardless of people being there or not. Yeah, but we all know. We all see the TV. They're there's there's a lot of seagulls out there right now as well. So although they did just they've they've won six in a row now, so you know, <laughs> no matter what happens, I'm not gonna give a prediction because you know it, it would be too hurtful. But they need to they need to finish ahead of the Giants this year. That's important for morale, I think. So 
So now that we're out of town, uh, you know, uh, you need to go take care of business against the White Sox. Go, uh, <laughs> go try and take it out on another uh, uh, lower feeder, so to speak. Yeah. So. Well, we swept them in Chicago, and you know, everyone's been talking about how we have a better home record. So we'll see how we do. Right. I mean, you know, and uh, the right field, the right field gang. I mean, it's still that's still a blast. I mean, I, I, I guess I didn't even ask this. How many games have you been to this year? And have you do you sit out in right field? Uh, I've been to one game so far this season, uh, sitting up with my brother in the section that they um, the third level where they removed the tarps. So basically we had like a whole row to ourselves, you know, just totally stretched out and um it was it was fun up there actually and i was kind of like is it really gonna be like an experience but um it was fun and, and it really did have good views of the field um and i've been to one game in the right field bleachers and it happened to be in let's see 2013 with josh donaldson's first walk off against detroit in extra innings so nah a good one that was a pretty good one yeah it's a good one to have been at well good luck moving forward good luck with uh getting the new stadium getting that locked down uh i certainly hope that they stay in oakland to be sure um and you know it's uh this commissioner manfred uh commissioner manfred um he takes a lot of initiative and getting uh oakland and uh tampa new stadiums is always right at the top of uh, the list so i hope i hope they follow through as well because you know the thing is, it's kind of maybe maybe to you it could feel like Stockholm syndrome because watching the Braves play in the Oakland Coliseum was a lot of fun because you just don't see that look anymore, and yet they want to make sure that you know for national games in the postseason that you know that the the stadiums are jewels, uh, and you know you have Kansas City had all the renovations playing in. The Mets' new stadium, of course, the Giants renovated Wrigley Field. You know, Oakland, for when they return to the postseason, I'm sure the commissioner wants them to be in a bright, shining star of a new stadium. So, so I hope that gets right. done for you and you can start having consistent success again. So, but um, at any rate, well, thank you so much for uh, for doing this podcast, um, especially in lieu of the uh, of the sweep. Um, what do you what do you got coming up? You're you're writing for the paper. Where does one find your articles? We have an article of yours that we need to post on the website. That's my fault. Uh, but uh, but uh, anything to plug? Even the winery that you work at as well. Oh, um, well, I guess a uh, catch up. I'm I'm no longer with the the paper, so I got to write uh, my last article from being at spring training uh, this year. Just kind of. Um, uh, that was the end of, of that chapter. And uh, from the newspaper, I've joined a, a really incredible consulting firm uh, that's based in San Francisco. And, and we primarily do communications and outreach for uh, government agencies. So kind of focused on this uh, public sector. And, um, you know, I'd say that the, the Bay Area is an incredible place to live, but it's not without its challenges. So it's... Um, really exciting to be working with uh, clients who more or less are trying to make the Bay Area a, a better and more workable place. So uh, that's sort of the the main gig at the moment. And then um, with that, uh, able to work at an Oakland winery, uh, which is also a distillery. Um, so 
uh, yeah, two very locally focused enterprises. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Well, continued success on both of those endeavors. But thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. Let's not wait till the next uh, Oakland-Atlanta showdown uh, to do this again. So, um, and uh, so as always, thank you to all the listeners of the Running the Basis podcast. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud or uh, on iTunes. Um, you can find everything Running the Bases at our website, runningthebases.com. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Um, and that's it. Uh, looking forward to the All-Star game. Uh, Coach and I will get back at it here uh, in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, so there you have it. So for uh, Tucker Wells, this is the Running the Bases podcast coming into home, safe at home. Kate, thank you so much. Uh, hope your A's start start playing meaningful baseball late in the season shortly. For what <laughs> well, it's worth. Regardless of how the A's do, it's uh, always a pleasure to be on the show and to listen to you and Coach. So keep up the good work to the two of you. Well, much appreciated. We will. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus for different reasons, but we're trying to get back to it here soon. So, um, so I appreciate that. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Sounds like a plan. All right. Take care.